Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Whether you work for government or industry, we're here to help you understand how the other side thinks. This episode is brought to you by the Skyway Community. The Skyway Community gives you context from former contracting officers, just-in-time training in the government market, and consulting to solve your unique puzzles. Visit AskSkyway.com to learn more and to see if you're a fit. Our topic today is engineering change proposals. Let's get started. We know that contracts really aren't static. There's lots of things that change in a contract. That's why they made modifications, right? FAR Part 43, I believe, is the one that's all about changes and mods and managing the contract. And other than funding mods, which is felt like it was the most often that I did was just funding the contract constantly. But the modifications I did a lot of were engineering change proposals or ECPs on an active contract where you're changing the scope, the schedule, the, the requirement, the, the work that's being done. That's effectively what an ECP is. ECP is the term the government uses to differentiate a change to what the government customer cares about. In other words, the work being done versus an admin change. If we just said change, that's way too nebulous. So an ECP means that we're changing something about the requirement and the work being done. This generally happens on contracts that last over a year. And if it, you know, for more than commodities on systems contracts, we had tons of ECPs. Yeah, I actually got to the point where we would number the ECPs and that's how we track them. ECP number 107 is going to get awarded today. Before we dig into ECPs, let's stop and say thanks. I want to say thanks to Jackson Dalton from Black Box Safety for posting on Twitter that he's a contracting officer podcast listener. Now that we've talked about the acronym ECP, let's talk about what an ECP actually is. It's how the contracting officer and the contractor implement a requirement change. We talked about admin mods versus mods that actually change things in the contract in episode 120. So ECPs are the ones that change things in the contract. How this usually works is... When you're in the execution zones of the contract, the, the performance zone, it could also be the honeymoon zone or the recompete zone, but that's all really the performance zone. While you're executing the contract, something needs to change. The government has decided they want to do something different or technology has changed and you need to incorporate the latest technology. Somehow, the requirements for the contract have changed, whether it's the technical side or the schedule side maybe. And since we have an active relationship, this is not a competition, the change really operates like a sole source contract award would operate. What I mean by that is ECPs generally require the same elements as a new contract. You have to have a statement of work, you have to list deliverables, you have to define the schedule, or the changes to the existing statement of work, the existing deliverables, and the existing schedule. And all of those things have the potential to impact the contract cost. An engineering change proposal has to be within the general scope of the contract overall. If you had a contract that said, deliver me candy bars, and then you did an engineering change proposal that said, build me an aircraft, that's not the same scope at all, right? <laughs> it has to, it, it's like you already have a contract that says, build me an aircraft, but now you want something minor on the aircraft to change. You can't get too crazy or it's out of scope. And then you need a, an actual, a new competition or a new sole source justification in order to, to proceed. Give me an example of something that could change after a contract award once you've started the work. One of the contracts I had 
we'd ordered these vehicles in black, which because that's the way they commercially came. And then after award, we realized, oh, it'd be really the customer. Again, going back to this is what the customer wants. The customer said, hey, can I have them in green? We wanted it in military green, and they had it available. This is a commercial item that we were modifying. They had it available in hunter green. Well, the difference between those two was it was no longer a, a commercial color. They would have had to go. They could get that color for us, but it would be a different production line. It'd be a different. It's not a one-for-one replacement, right? It's, it's not, not just, just, hey, give me one of those instead of that. Yeah, it's not just flip a switch. So part of this, this is where the negotiation starts of does the customer really, really need that color? Turns out they did, and it was you know, it was an event. It was an engineering change proposal. So the statement of work said, I need this color green. And the contract, as it was at that point, said, I just need them in black. So there's an easy change. And what that what does that do to the deliverables? What does that do to the schedule? What does it do to how long it takes to make it? What right. It- Suddenly, instead of rolling these off the line and handing them to you, there's an extra step as they put this custom paint job on them because that's essentially what it is. So they may come back and say, well, instead of 60 days to deliver this, it's now going to be 90 days. And, by the way... That's going to cost you a little bit more, not only for the cost of the paint, but for the cost of the custom paint job. The people may have to do something differently. Yeah, because now they're pulling them off their production line, going over in the corner, and then spray painting them themselves. <laughs> that's a little bit more. It's not exactly as efficient, so it, and the cost gets transferred to this. Now it's a direct charge to this contract. Remember that an engineering change proposal is changing the technical aspects or the schedule. It's not just a cost change alone. If the contractor decides that, hey, this is going to cost more or less than I expected, that's just an overrun or an underrun. That's not actually an EZP. It's a different kind of modification. The reason it's important to understand engineering change proposals is because most contracts are not static. It's pretty rare for a complex contract or a contract of any length to be awarded and go exactly as planned with no changes and then the contractor delivers what they're supposed to and then it's done and closed. And because the contracts change, the relationship between government and industry matters a lot now. So negotiating is part of the ECP process. And your relationship and understanding of the contractor's perspective, if you're in the government, and likewise, if, you under, if you're the contractor, you understand the government's perspective, it's going to make that process go a lot faster. In any change, both sides need to understand what's the objective, the goal of this ECP. What's the required technical scope? How is it changing? Is it a standalone new piece of work that's related to the current work? Or does it change the existing work? What does that change do to the schedule? Like you were talking about with the paint jobs on the vehicles. Does it take longer to paint the vehicle now? Do we have to paint it twice? Does it already come in black and they have to strip that off and repaint it? Or can you get the vehicle unpainted and just paint it once so it really doesn't impact the schedule that much? Who knows? You got to talk about these things. And another wrinkle is how fast this negotiation gets done can impact whether or not it impacts the schedule of the overall contract. Back to the paint job on the vehicles. If they've all already been painted and are loaded up and ready to ship, that's going to cause a big impact to when the government can actually take delivery of those vehicles because now they have to unload them, strip them down, repaint them, load them back up, and send them out. If you did the change before they got to the paint shop, Maybe there's no impact to the schedule at all. But if you take six months to negotiate the ECP to change it, you're probably causing an impact to the actual delivery schedule for the contract. That's why communication is so important here, is you need to understand the context of 
not only the negotiations impact on the overall schedule of the contract, if you make this decision now versus making it next year, what's the difference? Ask that question. Going back to the similarities to a sole source negotiation, the same type of process applies. Yeah, there's an RFP. The government says, I, I, I need you to give me a proposal to make this change. And then there's an actual proposal. And that proposal could be as big as the original proposal. It could be hundreds right. of pages. I mean, depending on, it could be, right. I mean, I've had ones that were five and I've had ones that were 200. And then there's a negotiation, there's an approval, there's a you know, business clearance process, and then there's actually agreement on, okay, yes, we all agree this is the best, this is the final result based on technical schedule and price. And then there's a contract mod. And then that, that is the administrative part of put that into the contract. And then there's implementation and execution. But one of the big points here is that you don't start with price. And the complexity of all those steps from the request for proposal, through the proposal, through the mod varies depending on how big the change is and how complex the change is. Just because you have to issue a request for a proposal, it just could be an email that says, send me a proposal for this change that that is an easily understood change. Or the request for a proposal could be massive, just like the request for a proposal in a competition is, but without all the rules about, about competitions, if that makes sense. One key difference between a competition and a negotiation for a new sole source contract is for engineering change proposals, the government usually pays for the contractor's proposal preparation costs. Yeah, because the government's asking for the proposal. It's a direct right. charge. Like with, without that request, the proposal doesn't exist. Ergo, it's a direct charge to this contract. Tell me about how this works on the government side. In many cases, the government user, the customer, the, the person who's getting the benefit of the contract, thinks these are easy. I mean, I, I, I got a couple of them like on a Friday morning and say, hey, can you get this on contract by you know, close of business today? Yeah, it's, just change this. It's easy. Because yeah, there's a negotiate. Like we just we went through the whole process. There's a negotiation process here. So so the best approach from the government side is to, to make sure all the players are involved here. Uh, so we have episode 60, who are the players, and make sure they're all involved in the discussion, the finance, the legal, the pricer, the program manager, and, and, uh, and even the contractor in many cases, because the contractor is giving you an understanding of this is what it's going to cost. I mean, yeah, it, remember, you're working together here. If you're trying to build up, hey, we want to change all this stuff in the contract, before you go through all the trouble to write up an RFP, at, you know, changes to the statement of work, changes to the requirements, documents, give it to the contractor and get a proposal that's five times the money you have, maybe you ask the contractor, hey, if we wanted to change this, this, and this, you know, sort of in roundabout ways, how much do you think that would cost before you lock down all those details and spend the time and energy doing that? I had a contract where we added a certification level, the professional certification to their to their employees, thinking it was going to be the same. And, and and thankfully, I asked that question in an email and the contractor said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. That particular certification, people make like an extra ten thousand dollars a year for that. I'm like, they do. So I didn't know. Right. And so that's an example of I thought it was, oh, we can just add this certification and it'll make it easier for this IT services contract. And easier wasn't the right term. More expensive was. And that's the kind of thing you find out if both sides are talking to each other. And if it's not just contracts talking to contracts, it goes back to the deciders as well. You talked about who are the players we had, who are the three deciders. There's, there's going to be funding people involved. There's going to be requirements people involved, and there's going to be contracts people involved. Same thing from the industry side. There's going to be contracts people involved. There's going to be technical people assessing the impact of the change. There's going to be pricing people involved trying to capture the price impacts of the change. 
there's really two ways to think about building the price for an ECP. It's top down and bottoms up. On the government side, if you start with, I have this much money, how much change could I get? Sometimes it's scary. The government doesn't want to tell the contractor, I have this much money, because they're afraid the contractor's proposal will magically equal that much money. But if you want to maximize the amount of work that you can get done for that much money, it's not a bad place to start to say, my budget limited, help me understand how much these kind of things would cost. And, and that's been called cost as an independent variable. In other words, we've got $100,000 or $100 million to do this. Let's negotiate within that bucket. And that's why they call it a top down is you're starting with, this is our ceiling. Let's see what we can fit under the ceiling. And the other way is bottoms up or bottom up, which is start with a requirement and you build up like this is kind of like a wish list. In a perfect world, this is what the thing is going to look like. This is what the solution will be. And of course, you know, that almost always costs more money because it, it doesn't have a ceiling on it. If you throw that over the fence to the contractor, here's everything that we could possibly ever want to change. You're going to get an eye-watering proposal back. <laughs> so again, the best way to do this is to be talking. Remember, you're in a contract relationship. There are no restrictions on communication. It's wide open. Take advantage of that. Speaking of taking advantage, the cynical government side often looks at ECPs as this is, this is the upsell, right? I ran a competition. Everyone bid what they said it would take to do the job. And as soon as I give them the contract, suddenly there's all these changes, all these things that we magically didn't think about before that are going to cost me more as the government customer. It's a pretty cynical way of looking at it. But the reason that a lot of government people look at it that way is because it happens. Yeah, and I think you called that the get well plan in the market. <laughs> right. So that there's, a, there's a, a cynical perspective that you're just going to try and get well after award. Now, the ideal approach is that this is how the government customer, this ECP process is how the government customer, the user can get a better result, a better product. They can get more of something or even just get the same thing at a lower cost because something has changed. So, Right. If the contract's awarded and everyone realizes, hey, there's a better way to do this, why keep doing it the wrong way? If both sides can agree, you can actually get more for your money, better results for the mission. So on, there are the two extremes. We have the cynic and we have the ideal. And yeah, somewhere, and probably neither one is neither the cynic nor the ideal is wholly true. Right. The truth is somewhere in between, which is why negotiation is such a big part of managing engineering change proposals. You're trying to find the sweet spot between the cynic of, oh, they're just trying to screw us over and the whole rainbow, rainbows and lollipops of everything's perfect. In between those two is where you really have to be. So be aware of this if you're on the industry side that there may be some skepticism about your motives on every change that comes about from the government side. Don't play into that and push your contracting officer more into that cynic role. What made me a cynic was when I would walk into a room, I'd be attending a program meeting, and we have a contract for performance under a lot of engineering stuff that has to happen. And here comes the company and says, hey, we got this great solution. It is completely proprietary. We own the whole entire concept. And once we just introduce this, it's only going to cost $200,000 and it'll make all these things better. What I'm hearing is, wait a minute, we competed this contract, you won it, and you're trying to insert your proprietary solution into the software so that we're stuck with, and it sounds harsh, but that's how it feels. And we're stuck with you for the next you know, 50 years. So you're taking to something, I took a lot of effort to compete, and now you're trying to you know, worm your way in so that we, don't have, we can't compete it because your software is going to be managed. Right, we did the competition to make sure that, that the government had the rights for everything. Here comes the proprietary stuff. And right. th 
again, that happens. It's business. I understand why contractors would do that, but that's why some of those cynics exist. Yeah, and so the, and what made me cynical about it is this is a meeting I happened to be in on, and I, I was a very unpopular voice in that room. I mean, there's like 30 people in this room. I mean, it was a quarterly program management review, and it made me really leery of like, oh, my goodness, these meetings are happening, and they're making all kinds of decisions that are screwing up my contract. Another thing industry should think about is price matters here. Unlike in a source selection where the government can say, yes, I know I had competition, so I'm getting a fair and reasonable price. This is like a sole source contract. The government needs the context for your price. They need to understand how all these changes that are going to occur impact the price. And those could be debits and credits to the price, right? Increases or decreases. A lot of times when a change happens, some work goes away and is replaced by new work. And we've been talking a lot about things from from a manufacturing or a delivery standpoint. But the same is true for services contracts. I need pricing context, even for service contracts. And I prefer to have that before the proposal shows up, which is going to happen through communication. So janitorial services contract on, on the base. So the, the, think of like facilities maintenance. One of the things that happens on the facilities is, is cleaning a building. That customer who works in that building, they just built a brand new building next door. So they're moving. The requirement within the scope of the contract is clean all the buildings on the base. Okay, it's a new building. Thing is, it's not the same building. It's 25 years newer. Doesn't have you know nasty linoleum floors. It actually has carpet. You're just going to have to vacuum. It's a little bit smaller. So does that decrease the amount of time it takes you to clean it? Well, not necessarily. Uh, here's one. The new building has an elevator. The old building didn't. <laughs> this is mm-hmm. you see all these little nuances change the scope of how the work is done, even though they don't change the scope of the contract. Right. Some of them could be more work. Some of them could be less work. A lot of things are going to be one for one, new building. But yeah, the program management, the financial controls, the other things that industry may be charging for on the contract, those aren't going to be any different. But if you now have to do elevator maintenance where you didn't have to do elevator maintenance before, that's a change. Or if the old building had six elevators, the new building only has four, maybe that's a change too that that deletes some of the work. And in this case, the old building was one story and the new building is two, even though the square footage was about the same. So is that different? Thus the elevator. Yeah, exactly. So it, 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 that, that's an example of the requirement changed. How does the delivery of that service change? And if you think about building a complex piece of machinery, you know, we always talk about aircraft, but could be a vehicle or a tank or a ship. If you decide to change something after the design has been finalized, you're probably taking something off and putting something on. So all of the engineering, all the work required for it, you know, it could involve subcontractors that were building something that's no longer required or changing. You have to account for what you're no longer going to do versus what you're going to do now. Otherwise, if you just account for what you're doing now, you're overpaying. You're paying twice. You're paying for work that's no longer going to be done. So it's all about debits and credits. Whew, now I'm starting to sound like an accountant. Let's wrap this up. Remember that an ECP is a subset of modification. It's a type of modification, but its function is much more focused on serving the customer than it is on just administering the contract. Like an admin mod or a funding mod is about managing the contract. This is about serving the customer. And remember that it's just negotiable. So many parts of an ECP are negotiable. And we always talk about context. Well, an ECP is a ripe environment for that. A lot of our episodes and our training that we do starts with the negotiation starts with getting context. And so in an ECP, you got to have context from both sides. So are you going to be pricing from the top up 
or the bottom down. There's an example of context. You have to be talking about that upfront. Otherwise, you risk being diametrically opposed in what you're trying to accomplish, which means the ECP takes longer, and then your customer says, why is it taking so long? And That communication is key. Remember, this is not a competition. It may have been when it started, or it may have been a sole source negotiation when it started, but now you're on the same team, right? You're both trying to deliver something for the mission. Don't forget that you're allowed to talk. There's no limits like in a competition on communication. Use that communication to make the process easier and faster for everyone. So make sure you all agree on how you're going to align technical schedule and cost. All three of them are going to be impacted. And with that, we're done. I'll talk to you later. See you, Paul. That's it for this episode of the Contracting Officer Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please spread the word and tell a friend about the podcast. And don't forget, send me your questions, comments, and complaints to paul at contractingofficerpodcast.com. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us.